Um, thanks for being here. Um, it is uh, the new year now. I was not up here last week and I missed you guys and I didn't get to say Happy New Year. So Happy New Year to you. And I want to just tell you, it is time for New Year's resolutions. And so I don't know like, how much that means to you or where you're at with that. So we're going to do a little, a little test today and find out how much you know about New Year's resolutions, particularly in the United States, because it happens all over the world, but it's different in different countries. And so I've got a list here of what most people think are the top five most common New Year's resolutions. Can you guess what is number one? You're close. Exercise. I'm going to exercise more. Can you guess what is number two? <laughs> I'm going to eat better, right? I'm going to exercise more. This should really combine these top three, right? Because if we do number one and we exercise more and we do number two and we eat better, we're going to do number three, which is we're going to... We're going to lose weight. Um, so that's all we care about, apparently. Anyway, uh, number four is almost every year that we're going to improve our finances. And every year, number five is that we're going to spend more time with family and friends and people that we love. Um, I noticed that uh, in England and in some parts of Europe, a new one has cracked the top five and it's moving up on our list. And that is to spend less time on social media. Praise Jesus. Um, how many of you uh, make some sort of New Year's resolutions every year? Most, yeah. How many of you would say, I'm doing great, nailing it, I'm awesome, yes. It's just January to get over yourself. Uh, how many of you have already blown it? Just really, all right, there it goes, that's okay, we just start over. Um, I'll tell you that I never blow it. I always keep 100% of my New Year's resolutions. And I'm gonna tell you my secret now, and maybe I just pray that it will help you. The secret is I set really easy ones. And I do things that I would probably do anyway. So like this year, um, one of my goals is that I'm gonna try to eat even more unhealthy food than I did last year. And I'm gonna try to somehow exercise even less than I did last year. And I'm gonna see, I mean, I'm gonna try to see if I can actually gain 10 pounds <laughs> and waste more money. And I think this year, you know, if God is with me and helps me, I'm gonna try to start smoking. So I got, I got it, so I'm doing, man. Uh, not really, that's not true. I'm a, I am a big believer in goal setting. I am a big believer in written objectives. I am a big believer in resolutions. And you know why? Because it works. One of our greatest motivators is like competition or comparison, and that's what this is, right? This is me, 2023 Larry, competing with that loser 2022, Larry. That's, that's what it is. And this competition is, is good. It's good. This comparison is good. It pushes me. It makes me try harder. It, it makes me not give up. It makes me push through when things are hard. This, this performance mentality that if I do good, something good happens. I win. And if I do bad, Something bad happens and I lose. This performance mentality works. And truthfully, without it, people don't strive to grow or to get better or to achieve more. And we just become really easily satisfied and complacent and like lethargic. And I think that's where mediocrity becomes the norm and that's no good. We don't want mediocrity to be the norm. And so, yeah, we set goals for our performance and we perform and we evaluate and we improve and we promote and we start over and over and we get better 
and better, and it starts when you are a tiny, tiny kid. Um, I always love listening to parents that are dealing with like potty training, and they'll always talk about, you know, you gotta reward that performance, right? So it's like, you know, oh, yay, poo-poo in the potty, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, here's you a brown M&M or whatever, right? That's your, you, like, look, kid, look, you perform, this is what you get, something good, right? If you don't perform, you get the stinky diaper of shame or whatever. And truthfully, that's more punishment for the parents than it is for the kids. But that's the beginning for us of this performance mentality. We do good, something good happens. We do bad, we get the shame, right? And it goes right, it's now we're four years old, five years old, and we're going to school. And it's the same thing again, right? Our performance is measured, right? Our performance is analyzed and evaluated. And our, our promotion depends on it. And so if we do good, yeah, that's rewarded with stickers and happy faces and grades and promotion, starting that we're just little kids and then all through school. That's, that's what grades and report cards are all about, right? It's, it's measuring our performance. So we perform to whatever level and somebody evaluates that and if we performed well, yay. And if we didn't perform well, then, you know, there's, then there's the shame. And sports. I mean, we see it so much in sports, right? Um, in contests, and I, my, I have a grandson, Waylon is uh, five, and he was talking to his, he had a race the other day with Ophelia, his little cousin, it's three, and so, I mean, he's two years older than her. So he, he wins the race, and so he turns to her and says, I won, and she goes, yeah, I won too. And he said, uh-uh, <laughs> no. Now, you see, Ophelia, the person that comes in first is called the winner. The other people are called the loser. I mean, he's five, it's in. I mean, in sports, bring it out. And when I was in high school, I played basketball, and I remember we had like, I don't know, 12, 13 kids on the team, right? And so um, we had practice jerseys that we wore to practice in, and if you were like top five, you're a starter or whatever, then you got to wear the red practice jersey. And then if you were like almost good enough, then you could wear the blue practice jersey and that way we could scrimmage against each other and then if you were like probably shouldn't even be on the team you get the white practice jersey and so you two it worked because we were so competitive because it was nothing in practice for halfway through the practice if this, this guy with the blue beats this guy with the red and the coach would say change shirts change shirts right now and oh what an honor to put on that disgusting, sweaty, red shirt, right? Oh yes, I get to be the red shirt. And what shame for that person that had to take off his red shirt and give it to somebody else and put on this blue shirt. But you know what's funny? It worked because we tried really hard and we competed really strongly and we got better because we were evaluating our performance. And if you performed, you promote. And if you don't, you get the shame. We, we need that. We need the measurements. That's why we wear these things, right? I just got a Fitbit, so watch me now, <laughs> right? So now, what is this? I, it measures how many steps I take in a day. And you know, I guarantee you, you get a Fitbit, you will take more steps. You will. You know why? Because it works, man. We're, we're, measuring performance and being, I get it like, it vibrates and turns all colors when I get my steps. We, we it, it works in everything, in school and in sports 
and potty training and in life, in the military, in work, on the job, with your health, this is how it works, man. We perform and we measure and we evaluate our performance and if it's good, we get rewarded and we get promoted and if not, then we don't. And often, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think it's a good thing. Rewards for good performance and shame for bad, right? It makes us try harder, it makes us do more and people that get that succeed and they thrive, and they drive great cars, right? I mean, come on, it's the American way. It is, right? Listen, I'm gonna go golf on a little soapbox here, but this is why socialism and communism don't work, and that's all I have to say about that right now, okay? Because, because listen, because what works is performance-based value and reward and promotion. That, that works. The problem for Christians is it works too good. The problem with Christians is it works so good that it's hard for us not to bring that same like performance mindset into our walk with Jesus. And I think just too many of us see our relationship with Christ as like a performance, like it's a, like it's a set of objectives, you know? It's a bunch of stuff that we're gonna do and then we're gonna see how we did. Right? We're gonna evaluate and we're gonna see. And if we do all this stuff, if, if we do it really well, and if we do it really good, then guess what? We win. And God likes us. Like, like Jesus is in heaven like with a clipboard or something, right? And he's, and he's oh, you're in church today. Ooh, that's, I'm gonna give him an A for that one, right? Oh, that's awesome, good for you. Oh, you did something nice for somebody. Ooh, there's gonna be an A for you. Oh, you prayed this morning. Oh, that, I'll give you an A for that. Uh-oh. I see here you didn't read your Bible yesterday. So, time to put on the blue shirt, right? It's time to step down. It's time to put on the white shirt of shame for you. And this is, this is the performance mentality that works so great in school, and it works so great in sports, and it works so great in business, and it's really hard to turn that off when we come into our walk with Jesus. And this is why you hear people use a really funny term. I bet you've heard it, here's the term, good Christian. You ever hear people talk about that? When your daughter brings her boyfriend home, and you know, oh, he's a good Christian. He's a good, he's a good Christian. We talk about it all the time, huh? He's a good Christian. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? You're a good Christian, right? Jesus really died for you, right? What, what's a good Christian? I tell you, the one person I know in the whole Bible, one person I know for sure is in heaven with Jesus right now, and you know who it is? Guy on the cross, guy next to Jesus. Was he a good Christian? He was a terrible Christian, right? If we're gonna go by these standards, he, 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 what is a good Christian? What's a good joy that leads worship? <sighs> Joy's a good Christian, man. She, she prays every day, she volunteers, she doesn't cuss or fight or get drunk or chew tobacco anymore. <laughs> she's, she's a good Christian. I'm, I'm a good Christian. I mean, I read my Bible, and I pray, and I give money to the church. God must be so proud of me, right? He must, I bet he really loves me now that I'm a good Christian. I bet he's really proud of me now that I'm a good, I bet, I bet God has got a picture of me on his fridge <laughs> holding up my straight A Christian report card. And you know what? He, he, he does love you when you're doing great. And he is proud of you 
when you're killing it as a Christian, right? He, he's proud of you. But the problem is sometimes we don't do great. And sometimes we're not killing it. Huh. Not you, but like the other people. <laughs> sometimes our Christian performance isn't as good as it should be. And if we bring in the same performance-based attitude in our walk, then when our performance isn't up to, up to what it should be, then I think we, we start to wonder, well then, like, is God mad at me now? Or, or, or I mean, did I blow it? Am I not a Christian anymore? Do I give up my red shirt? Am, am, I, gonna, am I gonna lose my reward? Or, or, or should I be ashamed now? And you know who loves that? Satan. He, he loves this performance-based Christianity mindset because he knows that every one of us is gonna fail from time to time. And when we do, he is right there in your ear, isn't he? Oh, you blew it this time, man. That was too much. I mean, and you know what? That's like the 10th time you've done that. I'm pretty sure God's given up on you by now, right? He's mad at you. You should be so ashamed of yourself. He sent Jesus for you, and that's the way you repay him? Man, you are, you're, you're out. You're probably not even saved. You're, you're, you, might as well, you might as well stop trying. I think Satan knows that this performance-based Christianity always eventually leads to shame, which he loves, you being afraid of God, which he loves, and you giving up, which he loves. And I don't know, man, have you ever like felt just a little of that? Like, you know, I, I said I was gonna stop that, and I just keep doing it, and I, I made the same resolution last year that I'm making this year. I was gonna pray more, I was gonna get closer to God, I was gonna read my Bible, I was gonna be a good Christian this year, and I just blew it. And I promised myself I would do better, and I promised God I would do better, but I didn't. It's the same as the last year, and the same as the year before that, and the same as the year before that, and God must be getting pretty sick of me failing him. And I just, I mean, why do I even try? And maybe you felt this. I'm so ashamed of breaking my promise to God and not living up to the standards that he set and that I set for myself that I'm just like, I'm embarrassed to even talk to him. And so I, 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 maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm just not a good Christian. You know, maybe I'm just not Christian material. And maybe this, this is not gonna work for me. And, and you know, maybe I should just give up. And man, if you've ever felt that, I wanna tell you, you're not the only one that's ever felt that. I think that is the end result every time of this performance-based Christianity. And I just wanna tell you that Jesus wants something better for you than that. Jesus didn't come and die and resurrect so that you could live a life of being afraid of God or being ashamed to talk to him are being constantly frustrated with what's going on in, in your life. And so today, just real simple, I've got, I've got three biblical ideas for you about how we can get rid of some of that frustration and some of that fear 
and some of, some of that shame and some of that burnout and some of that desire to quit by breaking free from this performance-based Christianity. Here's your first idea. God loves you as you are where you are. As you are now, where you are now, God loves you. Um, in performance-based Christianity, you gotta earn it first, right? You do good, then he loves you, right? You less sin, more praying, right? You do good, then he loves you. And so if you're a good Christian, then, then he'll love you. Let me ask you a question. Is that biblical? I mean, you guys have read the Bible some, right? I mean, think of the stories of the Bible. Are the people that God loves perfect people? Are they particularly good people? <laughs> no, it's not, it's, I don't, where does this idea come from? It comes from our performance mindset because it worked in business and it worked in potty training and it worked in basketball. That's it, it, not, not how this thing, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. I'll, I'll show you, I'm, I'm, we'll play a little game, okay? I'm gonna show you a couple of verses, I bet you know them, and we're gonna try to fill in the blanks, okay? And I'll give you multiple choices. I don't even have to say the answer until you hear all your choices, okay? Here's the first one, let's put it on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that blank who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's fill in the blank. Is it A, high performers? Is it so that all high performers who believe in him will have everlasting life? Is it B, everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life? Or is it C, people who put a lot of money in the offering and believe in him will have everlasting life? And the correct answer is C, it's... <laughs> is it? No, it's... Dang, it's B, it's everyone. God loved everyone so much that he sent Jesus so that everyone, not the, not the high performers, not the good Christians, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Let's look at another one. This is Romans 5, 8. Joy mentioned this one this morning. This one says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, blank. Um, once we stop sinning, is that when it happened for you? Once you stop sinning, then he sent a son for you? Or B, while we were still sinners? Or C, he sent Christ to die for us if we put a lot of money in the offering? Listen, it's, it's, what is, what's the answer? It's, it's B, he, he sent Christ to die. How much did he love you? Enough to send Jesus for you. Enough to sacrifice his son for you while you were still a sinner. Your performance as a Christian has nothing to do with how much God loves you. He loves you as you are, where you are. And not on what I think or my authority, on the authority of scripture, I'm just gonna tell you, think of your worst day as a Christian performer, right? Remember that day? Remember that day you had all the bad motives, all the bad attitudes, all the bad behaviors, all the bad words, it was a bad hair day, everything was bad that day, remember that? If you don't remember that day, ask the person next to you and they will remind you of it. Remember that day? The worst day you've ever had, the day that you're most ashamed of, on that day, God loved you enough to send Jesus for you. He loves you when you fail and when you fall as much as when you succeed and when you win. 
And I think that's really hard. We're used to the performance thing, right? So it's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for us to understand that. And I think the closest thing we have to an understanding that is as parents. Do you remember like when the baby's trying to learn to walk and they're doing that drunk Frankenstein, you know, deal and you're, and you're helping them, right? You're lifting them up and you're holding their little hands and you're, you're going with your feet, right? And you're trying to help them. And what do they take a step and they fall. And they take a step and they fall. And they take two steps and they fall. And they take three steps and they fall. And remember that one day you finally said, you know what, that's it, right? <laughs> How hard is it? It's left, right, left, right, right? You're a year old for crying out loud, you're dead to me, right? You're out of the family. You're out of the family. No, you, you never, never did that. When they fell, listen, listen. When they fell, you love them just as much as when they walked. And the truth of it is you might have, you, you picked them up and you hugged them and you encouraged them and you kissed the boo-boo and you, and you told you, you can do it, you're doing so great, I'm so proud of you. You didn't love them less. You might have even loved them a little extra when they failed. And I'm telling you, God loved you so extra when you fell in your failure, in your sin, that he sent Jesus to pick you up and to encourage you and to show you his love. No matter how unlovable you feel, God loves you as you are, where you are. It doesn't mean he wants you to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay there. He, 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 he wants the best for you. He wants you to, to he said, a, live a rich, satisfying, abundant, um, impactful life. He wants you to make a difference in the world. He wants you to grow from where you are, just like you as a parent, right? You're hoping that once that kid learns to walk, they'll eventually learn to run and jump and drive and get married and succeed and be everything they were created to be and do all the stuff God created them to do. But you want that for them because you love them. That's why, not for you. You want it for them because you love them and so you want the best for them. God wants you to run. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to get better. God wants you to succeed. Not so he'll love you because he loves you. You, I don't know, is it, see if you think this is good news or bad news. You can't earn his love. I know this is good news. You don't have to earn his love. You can't do anything to make God love you more. You can't do anything to make God love you less. So yeah, do your best for Jesus, obviously. But not, not so he'll love you, right? Don't do your best for Jesus so you can become a Christian. Do your best for Jesus because he loves you. Do your best for Jesus because you are a Christian. I have a friend, um, Ryan Proudfoot, he has a really cool saying. He says, Christianity is not an activity to achieve, it's an identity to receive. It's not, it's not an activity to achieve, it's, 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 it's an identity to receive. It, it's a reality to live from, right? Like me, so I'm married. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm married, right? And I've been married for 43 years. And I'm, I'm married to Margaret. And so what does that mean? That means I love her and I take care of her and I honor her and I put her needs above mine and I don't date other women. But I don't do those things so I'll be married. I do those things because I'm married, right? I'm, I'm living out of my identity. Married is who I am. That's a reality that I live from. So those behaviors are byproducts of that. 
not qualifications for that. Get that one? Go like this. Okay, good. So we, do we, we wanna live lives of morality and ethics and we wanna love one another. We wanna live a life that pleases Jesus, but not so that we can be Christians. Not so that God can love us because we're Christians, because God loves us. So, first idea, to avoid the shame and to avoid the fear and the frustration and the burnout of this performance Christianity. Here's your first idea. God loves you as you are, where you are. Second idea, you're the art, not the artist. You are the art and not the artist. So as Jesus followers, we got these like little markers, right? These little goals, objectives, these, these resolutions, but each one of those is just a tiny little step towards the real goal, right? Towards the ultimate goal, which is as Jesus followers, we wanna follow Jesus. Right? We want to walk like he walks. We want to live like he lives. We want to love like he loves. We want to become like him. And that's, on, that's kind of a process for, for most of us that are you know, not completely holy the day that we meet him. So let's talk about that. On the day that you were saved, um, the spirit of Jesus came to live inside of you. And now, we just talked about this, right? When God looks at you, he looks on the heart, the Bible says. He looks inside. He doesn't look at your behavior. He looks at you inside. He looks at what you are inside. And when he looks inside of you, he sees Jesus. So when God looks at you right now, he sees you as being perfect and whole. That's why we celebrate with communion, right? God looks at you and sees you as perfect and holy and righteous and good. And on the inside, on the inside, in our spirit, we are. Um, this is, we call this positional justification, right? We're in the position of being justified, right? We're, we're, we're in the position of, of being good in God's eyes, on the inside, but then there's still work to do on the outside, right? And that's bringing our, like our attitudes and our behaviors and our thoughts and our words into line with our spirit, and, and that's, that's a work in progress. And we are slowly changing, and we are becoming more and more like Jesus, and that's, man, that's a lot of work. And that's really hard work. But it's not our work. It's, it's God's work. Um, Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says that we are God's masterpiece. And this, I've used this illustration a million times, but I have to show you the great work of art, um, David by Michelangelo. So you guys have seen it before, you know what that is. So this is the... It's ready to eat for everyone. So if you look at this, this is, this, you know this story, right? This thing is bigger than you think. I've never seen it in person, but it's humongous. It's humongous. It's like 18 feet tall. It's really, really big. And the story behind this is remarkable, and that is that there was this like eight-ton block of marble, and three different artists looked at it and were commissioned to do something with it, make something out of this big chunk of rock. And each one of them said, uh, not that one. That one's hopeless. It's flawed. It won't stand up to the work. It'll, it'll fall apart. Uh, no, I can't. And Michelangelo came along and he looked at this giant rock. I mean, it's, it's so big. This huge, flawed rock. And he said, I see beauty in that. And for three years, he, he chiseled and gouged and sanded and chipped away all the imperfections and he turned that ugly chunk of a rock 
into what some people say is the most perfect piece of art in the world. He turned that piece of rock into David. David is Michelangelo's masterpiece. And in the same way, you are God's masterpiece. He is making you into the likeness of Jesus. So here's a cool verse. It's, written, it's in the book of Philippians, so it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And those people were like us, right? They had been justified, so they're made right on the inside. And they're Christians now, but they're trying to be more like Jesus on the outside. This is Philippians 1.6. Look what it says. Paul says to them, look, I'm sure, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. So let's leave that up there. Let me ask you a couple of test questions. Who began the work? Who? God. And who's continuing the work? God. And when's it going to be finished? On the day that Jesus returns. So I think when you're feeling this shame and this fear and this frustration and this burnout of performance Christianity, and when you start feeling like you're just, you're just, you're never going to get there, just remember God is at work in you. You are his masterpiece. And you want to turn out beautiful like Jesus, but you're the art. You're not the artist. Do you see how that takes away some of the shame? Do you see how that takes away some of the pressure? That takes away some of the frustration. That takes some of the, the fear away. So, yeah, God is the artist, and you're the art. And he loves you right where you are. So I guess then... Our place in all of this is just to like sit on the couch with a cold beer and just wait for Jesus to come back, right? And then on that day, presto changeo, then I'm going to be perfect. So yeah, following Jesus is, is easy, <laughs> right? Kinda, kinda. Um, but the truth is, this, this process of making you more like Jesus, God, God's doing the heavy lifting for sure. But this is kind of like a partnership, right? And, and you have a job to do in this. And your part is this third thing, and that is that you have to stay connected. That's your part. You want to you do better, you want to be better, you want to grow as a Christian and get better and better and better. Your part is to stay connected. You don't, you don't have to do the chiseling, right? You don't have to do the gouging and sanding and all that kind of stuff. You, you just have to cooperate with it, if you can imagine Michelangelo and he's got his chisel and he's gonna knock a big broken chunk off of David and David goes, no, 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 no. No, I like that part, right? I like that, I like that flaw. I like that crack. I like that broken part. I like that ugly part. You have to, you have to yield to the work of the artist and to do that, you gotta stay close to him. In fact, you have to stay connected to him. In John 15, there's a really cool passage in there. He talks about the vine and the branches. Do you guys know that part? John 15, 5. Jesus says, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and those who remain in me, those who abide in me, those who stay in me, those who live in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so like, this is an image that I think is not, it was really good for the people Jesus was teaching because they were all about vineyards and all that stuff in those days. But now I thought, always thought, well, I don't know anything about wine. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know about grapes and all that stuff. But now I've been to Fredericksburg. 
right? And that, that town is nothing but wineries, right? That's all it is. They got like a gas station, a bar, a church, and a bunch of wineries. That's like all you need now. And so anyway, I, now driving through there, here's what I see. Winery, 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 winery. There's all these fancy wedding venues and all that stuff, right? And you know what I saw is all these, these like wires, and they got these vines that are growing up against those wires, and they're, and they're producing grapes. And the way they do it is through these little straggly branches sticking off of them. And so here's the, here's the image that Jesus is trying to get in our head. If, if you're that branch and you wanna pump out a couple of grapes, here's what I did not see. I did not see a bunch of those vines going like this. Right? I'm gonna squeeze one out, you know. I'm gonna, I am, I'm gonna make a grape right now. I'm gonna make a grape right now. That's, that's, not, that's not what they did at all. You know what they do? If they wanna be productive branches, you know what they do? They stay connected to the vine. That's where the life is, right? That's where the power is. And the power flows out of the vine and through the branches and produces the grapes. But if you break off that vine and lay it on the ground, I saw some broken vines laying on the ground, not a grape, not a grape. It's not because they're not trying just as hard as the other vines. It's because they're not connected. They're, They're not connected to the vine. The branch has to remain connected to the vine if it's gonna be fruitful. So what is Jesus saying? Not try harder, not do better. Jesus is not saying perform for me. He's saying remain in me. He's saying saying, abide in me, be with me, stay connected, I'll, I'll do the work in you and I'll do incredible stuff through you but you have to stay connected to me, remember, He's the artist. We're we're the masterpiece. And as we stay connected to him, yeah, he's chipping, man. He's gouging. He's sanding off all the rough stuff. So, like, what does that look like? Because that's that's a big jump, right, from the statue to our real lives. What what, What does it look like in the real world for him to do the chipping and gouging and sanding of making us more like Jesus? Well, I'll show you. Sometimes he might show us something in his word or he might convict us of something in our spirit about like rough spots that we have, about like ugly patches that we have in us that he wants to chip away and, and like rough edges that he wants to sand off of us and changes that he wants to make. You might be looking at scripture and saying, oh man, I think I, maybe I'm drinking too much. Oh man, now that I'm listening to my spirit, maybe I should get away from pornography. Right, now that I'm looking at the word and I'm listening in my spirit, maybe I need to be more forgiving. Maybe I need to learn to love people that aren't lovable. Maybe I need to get away from certain activities and certain places and certain people. Maybe I need to develop a heart to serve. That's him, man, that's him chiseling. That's him gouging. That's him sanding off the rough edges. And when he points those things in us, your job is to stay connected, right? Don't, don't, don't do like David, like, oh, I like that one, right? I like that little flaw. I don't wanna give that thing up. No, we have to yield to the artist. And, and if you do, if you make yourself available to the changes that he wants to make, he'll make you into a masterpiece. But it, it, it won't happen if we're not abiding in him. It won't happen if we're not connected to the artist, if we're not spending time looking at his word, if we're not time, spending time listening to his spirit and accepting his corrections and changes and the work he wants to do to us. And not, listen, this is really important, not forcing those changes by your strength, but accepting those changes through his strength. This is the last verse, look at this one, it's Philippians 
It says God is working in you. And he's continuing this work, right? God is working in you, and he's giving you the desire. And he's giving you the power to do what pleases him. So land the plane here, right? Jesus loves you as you are and where you are. But as Max Lucado famously said, he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to become just like him. But at the same time, he wants you to live a life full of joy and peace and freedom and hope and confidence and not a life of fear and shame and frustration and burnout and giving up. So he does the work. He's the artist. He takes the pressure. He takes the responsibility. He's the artist. We're the, we're the art. We just need to stay connected to him. And it sounds like super easy, but I think just because our whole lives we've been taught perform better, get more. Perform better, get more, right? You're either gonna be rewarded for your performance or you're gonna get the shame. It, we've been taught that our whole lives and it's just hard to let go of that. And so if you're, this is something to accept if you're ready to stop feeling the shame of failure as a Christian. This is something to accept if you're, if you're tired of wondering if God's mad at you. This is something to accept if you're just tired of being frustrated that the harder you go, the behinder you get. And it's not easy to accept. In fact, this is so important. This is, this is like, this, listen, this is what Christianity is. This is what it is to follow Jesus. It's accepting him as your source and him living through you, not you living for him. And this is such an important concept that I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna offer you the master class. Okay, so this is, this is 35 minutes or whatever today about this, but we're gonna be doing a class coming up in February, and it's called Living Life from a New Source. And if you haven't taken that class, man, I would really encourage you to sign up. It's gonna be during this nine o'clock service, lasts like six or seven weeks, and it starts in February. We got a table in the back, and the guys that are gonna be facilitating that are back there, Don Colmenares and Don Norman, great, great, our, I lost my thing, David Norman, um, are gonna be back there and they'd love to talk to you about it. They've even got these little books like this. It's like a little briefing, right? A little mini version of the class. Take one and see if maybe this is something that you want to sign up for and something that you wanna learn more about. And if so, then sign up for that class. I would love, 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 love for everybody to take this class. And let me tell you something, we've done this class several times in the past. We've got hundreds of people that have been through this class. And you know what the problem is? It's mostly people that look like me, right? It's mostly older people that have time to take an extra class. And so many times, people that are right in the middle of life in their 30s and 20s and 40s, they oh, I don't have time for another class, I don't have time for another class. Everybody that graduates from this class says two things. One, that was life-changing. Two, why didn't somebody tell me that when I was younger? Because I spent my whole life frustrated. I spent my whole life in shame and wondering if God was mad at me and beating my head against the wall because I wasn't getting better. So if I could just encourage you, man, if you are a younger person, you should really consider signing up for this class. You should really consider signing up for this class. So no pressure, but if you're saved, you'll sign up for the class. If you love Jesus, table's right back there. So not, not a performance thing, but sign up. Okay, so man, we'd really, 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 really love to have you consider taking that class. This is what it is to be Christian. This is what it is to be a Jesus follower, not performing for him, but allowing him to live his life in you and through you. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you, first of all, for what we said earlier, for what you've done, man. You've come for us, and you've given your life for us, and you resurrected for us, and you've given us life, but not just any life. You said you came to give us abundant life, rich life, satisfying, amazing life. And so as you are doing this amazing artwork of creating and gouging and sanding and making us more like you, will you just remind us that even though it may not be going at the pace we want it to go at, that you love us as we are and where we are. Man, let that be like on our minds in the forefront. You love us as we are and you love us where we are. And remind us that this is hard work and it's important work, but it's not our work. It's your work. And so we just thank you for the changes that you're making in us. Instead of us trying to force those changes in our strength, we're gonna lean on your strength. And God, will you just remind us that if we really wanna produce fruit, if we wanna get better and do more, we can't do much in our own strength, but we can do everything in yours. So just remind us to stay connected to you so that you can make these changes in us, so that you can grow us and develop us, and so that you can produce incredible works and fruit and miracles through us. And thank you, because you could have done it all by yourself, and you've chosen to live your life through us. So thank you for that. In your name, amen. Okay, real quick, before you go, a couple of really quick announcements. Number one, if you got that email survey about the building and all that stuff, this week is your last chance. So if you haven't filled that thing out, fill it out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to the Connection Center and they will get you hooked up. Please take that survey this week. Listen, next week we're starting a new sermon series that impacts your family. It impacts your family. It's called Peace of Mind and it's all about mental health. There, if you're not struggling with mental health, someone in your family, someone you love is struggling with mental health. So let's get together, let's talk about it, let's talk about what healing is available, let's talk about what it looks like to lean on Jesus through this stuff, and let's see what the Bible has to say about mental health. It starts next week. Bring somebody with you, we'll see you then. God bless you guys.